Hello, and welcome to the Michelle Miao Show at the Commonwealth Club of California. I'm John Zipperer, the club's vice president of media and editorial, and your co-host for today's program. We hope you are staying safe and are well wherever you are, and we look forward to seeing you in person one day again at the Commonwealth Club's headquarters in San Francisco. Until that happens, we are doing all of our programming online. This is the latest in more than 360 online programs the club has produced during the pandemic. You can find all of our upcoming programs, videos and podcasts from our past events, as well as information on how to help us produce all this stuff at commonwealthclub.org. Now, if you're watching us live on YouTube, use the chat box to submit questions for our panel and we will work some of those into our conversation today. Now we want to introduce Michelle Miao, the producer and host of the Michelle Miao Show and a member of the Commonwealth Club's Board of Governors. Good to see you again, Michelle. Thank you so much, John. And thanks to the Commonwealth Club of California for providing the platform for these important discussions. And thanks to you for joining us today for our discussion on Pandemic 19, a short documentary following three frontline doctors who kept personal video diaries once the pandemic hit the United States. Their recordings offer a humanized account of fighting COVID-19, a perspective that's not always included in the news headlines today. Here to discuss the film are the filmmakers themselves. We have both directors, uh, director Young Chang, who is also the director of Up the Yangtze, China Heavyweight, The Fruit Hunters, and This Is Not a Movie. He is currently completing a screenplay for his first dramatic feature, Eggplant, which was selected to participate in the prestigious Sundance Labs. And also co-director Annie Katsura Rollins, who is a researcher, artist, and educator, combining a BFA degree in performance from Carnegie Mellon University, an MFA in scenography from the University of Minnesota, and an interdisciplinary PhD from Montreal's Concordia University. Rollins' artistic work combines storytelling with deeply researched phenomena in modern society and cultures. And we also have Dr. Virginia Brady, who's the chief resident and pulmonary critical care specialist at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center in Boston. Her journey, expressed with charm, humor, and empathy, charts the unpredictable psychological toll, the conflict and turmoil a medical doctor is confronted with when trying to treat an unknown and deadly virus. So before we begin our discussion, let's see a short uh, clip of the film. Interestingly enough, I didn't test a single person today for COVID, even though about half the patients I saw definitely had it. And that's because we're low on tests and none of them required admission or met, or met the criteria that we look for. I just had my first death likely from COVID. With new visitor policies in the hospital, it's really, really difficult. Um, you have to go to family and say your loved one has just died, but you cannot visit them right now. I think we sort of like compartmentalize and shut off the terribleness of it and connect just enough, you know, to, to have empathy when, when talking to the families. As things ramp up, events will change and it's going to feel much different in the emergency room. It's March 20th. It's April 30th. May 18th. Thursday, June 11th. 
there are so many unknowns. We don't know how bad it's going to be. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. We are so honored and grateful that you took the time out, especially Dr. Brady. Um, let's begin by, you know, how the film came together. I'm curious to know if the, the doctors personally themselves decided to record their journey and, and you found, found them, you know, somehow, or if that was always part of putting the film together. Young? Annie? Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, we were in the middle of March. I think Young and I were both equally as shocked and struck as much of North America when we realized uh, uh, just what was coming our way. And oh, a few weeks before that, I had a doctor friend, one of my best friends, Dr. Allison Rudy in Minnesota, who had been sort of my personal canary in the coal mine and had been letting me know she was tracking numbers from China and Italy and that it was coming and it was going to be serious. And so I, I guess we we realized what a disconnect it was being a regular civilian and what it was to be a doctor or a healthcare professional, really understanding what a virus like COVID-19 would be like um, when it hit home. And so we, we very quickly realized that we should probably be connecting this, you know, the civilians, the regular people to this kind of very direct personal experience of what it was going to be like facing it directly. And, and by doing so, we actually just began to reach out to, to find doctors and healthcare professionals who might be willing to share their stories uh, through video diary, one, because of um, time, and, uh, but also because of COVID-19, we had to find a way to safely uh, capture these stories. And luckily, we had some very brave and amazing <laughs> doctors share their stories with us, one of whom, of course, is Dr. Ginny Brady. And, um, and that's, how, that's how it began. I mean, we kind of cast out, we had a, a handful of um, participants, probably about six, seven. Yeah. seven. And then, uh, you know, in the process of editing the film, it became clear which stories were speaking to the theme of the film in a clearer way than some of the other stories. But they were all obviously all valid and emotional. But um, we knew that we were going to make a short documentary at that time, you know, in, in, uh, in June last June. It, it feels like 10 years ago, honestly. <laughs> and is, it also feels like yesterday. It's just time, time has become very, <laughs> right now, yeah. we, become very strange. We find ourselves constantly asking what day it is. Yeah. Yeah. Dr. Brady, I mean, when you were approached about being a part of this, what did you think it would do? Both what, what did you think you could get across? And were you a little worried about kind of reliving, kind of rehashing these very emotional moments in your life? Yeah, I mean, when I when I watched the film, um, the the beginning, like the first recording, you know, I, I had no idea what we were in for, really. Um, I remember thinking, you know, <clears throat> Boston would be locked down for a couple weeks. I really had no idea, um, and it actually was pretty therapeutic, I think, to record every night and reflect. Um, and, you know, we stopped recording the end of June and there's a piece of me that's like, I should, it's almost like exercising. Like I should probably get back to recording. That, that made me feel better. Um, so I think in the end, it was like a really therapeutic uh, thing for me to do. And it's nice to have all of that, you know, all of that documented um, to reflect back on. It was such a, just to add to that, it was such a, um, 
interesting experience because this is the first time as a filmmaker where we were relying on the subject to record their own kind of material. And, um, and in fact, we had never even, uh, we never had a conversation with, I don't think we ever talked during that process. We were just emailing and then receiving these videos. And then Annie was the one who would be really diligently documenting, kind of transcribing and interfacing with that material. And I don't know, like it was, do you have thoughts on like what that, what that, what that was like to receive these, these from, you know, it was very, in a way kind of one-sided, like we would just get these things and then they would rock us to the core. And many an evening I'd see Annie just weeping. Um, it was very emotional. But you know, I think, uh, and very early on when we thought, oh, we would love, not only would we personally love to hear more humanized stories about the front line, but we think that's something we would like to bring to everyone else. Um, I, I don't think we, 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 we chose to embrace early on the limitation that COVID-19 placed on making films and putting stories together. And part of that, incredibly so, is actually having less of a hand in maybe shaping a story subconsciously or consciously by leading questions or even setting up an interview space and whatnot, that it really felt, um, you know, raw and maybe the overused word authentic, but it really felt like that's exactly what you felt in that moment and you captured it and then sent it to us. And it was quite a privilege to be on the receiving end of those videos. I have to say, personally, I felt so grounded and anchored during what was an otherwise very floating and isolated time. So I was, I was, a, I was appreciative to be able to be carried alongside all of these stories, um, you know, and, and really feel like this thing that was keeping us, uh, the, the rest of us indoors and cloistered was, was very real. And, and I, yeah, it was, it was a, personally, it was a great experience. And then of course, from those stories, we learned so much um, and, and so much surprised us. Um, you know, Ginny, Ginny, again, like you said, you saw the first recording that in the, in the beginning of the film, that first recording, I think not, nobody uh, knew what was going to happen. And from dealing with, you know, overburdened ICUs to being fired or let go because of, of course, the for-profit uh, health industry in the U.S. Uh, and all the elective surgeries being canceled, of course, you know, and that was like, for the character doctor. For Pusha, doctor, yes, I saw yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah that that was a that was an eye opening, you know, I guess narrative out of COVID. It it didn't cross my mind that doctors would be fired, or you know, or let go um, during this time of a pandemic. And we'll get to that. Um, but I wanted to ask my next question. Actually, as a great segue, Annie, because you had brought up, you know, what was shocking and what you learned. Uh, I don't know whose idea it was to add the ticker. You know, every time like each month came, but when that <laughs> the ticker, the count, um, as a viewer, you're watching this as you're adding up all the numbers of COVID infections, the total infections in the United States and the deaths. You know, I, I could feel myself. I know where this is going because we know where we're at today with the numbers. But, you know, are you are you shocked? Was it shocking, you know, kind of to look back at where you were when you ended the video diaries in June to be where we're at today? I mean, the numbers are what it is. It's, it's over 20 million uh, uh, infected or known infections and over 300,000 um, known deaths. And I know that that number is counting. Uh, we can start with Dr. Brady. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I really uh, had no idea um, you know, at the start that it would be something like this. Um, 
you know, we, we hear about coronavirus in medical school as something that causes the common cold. So coronavirus was uh, familiar to me. Um, actually, when I watched the recordings, the, uh, the, the final video in the beginning of this, uh, the video diaries, I used the word coronavirus again and again and again, because COVID-19 didn't exist. Like, isn't that crazy? Like that, that word wasn't coined yet. Um, like words that, that I didn't use a year ago, COVID-19, Zoom, Peloton, <laughs> like all of these things have just uh, become so common in our vocabulary now. So, um, you know, I think we were all just so naive to um, this tsunami that was coming towards us. And, and we were just kind of standing on the shore having no idea what was about to hit. And I can speak to the ticker, you know, again, it's so much of what we wanted to do was to connect the sort of sensationalized headlines and some of the data that can be actually very distancing to again, a very real and grounded experience. And we were also tracking the numbers and to see them jump every day, you know, I would go to ncovelive.com, I'm not exactly sure of the web address, but, and to see it jump each day, it was hard to remember where it was even the day before because the numbers had changed so much. So something about the ticker we realized as we were trying to, we were trying to show a chronology and we thought that the dates in some ways didn't, didn't, didn't speak to time as much as actually the counts of infection and deaths were. And also the ticker helps to show the progression of from, from one date to the next, what exactly, how that transpired. I think because again, we hear the word 20 million now and it just feels like, yeah, 20 million, but to see how exactly how that times and when and why is, is extremely important. In, inadvertently though, uh, w the one thing that happened out of the ticker counter effect was that uh, the f we would be doing the festival circuit, right? Uh, film festival circuit. And the number would, it, would be at a certain number in September, you know, 2020. And then suddenly it just kept going up uh, and, and we had to go back and, and change and, and, and uh, reflect the new numbers constantly, you know, on a week to week basis, practically. And then there was that one huge jump in um, in October, I believe, right, where it just went into the out, out of this, you know, out, out of out of out of a realm of of understanding, it just went crazy. And so I think the new this version currently that you're watching has has the effect where we we um, we take away the, the dates and just cast the numbers forward. And unfortunately, I think they just keep going up. Dr. Brady, before we started our program, we we were talking and. You mentioned about kind of how you first started hearing about this uh, this disease and, and such from people in other countries and things. Could you talk a little bit more about that and and what also? Because as as we we non medical people were kind of watching this start to unfold, um, we also saw. I think what I think most people would agree on is is a huge failure of public policy in this country. So that you know we had the the frontline doctors and nurses and and. Uh, you know, reusing PPP or PPE and, and other things. What were you seeing? You said you kind of at the beginning, of course, you didn't know how bad this was going to get, but you knew something was coming. So talk yeah. a bit about that, if you would. Yeah, sure. So I think in the beginning, I remember, um, I remember sitting on my couch and a friend texted me and said, like, should I be worried about coronavirus? I'm, I'm a school teacher and I'm supposed to take a school trip to China in, in March. And I heard there's like this coronavirus there. And honestly, I mean, even... You know, as healthcare professionals, 
we were as much in the dark as everyone else. Um, like I didn't have any insider knowledge at the time. And I was like, Oh, it'll be fine. Is what I told her. Um, clearly I was, I was wrong. <laughs> um, and we, we just had no idea. Um, and I remember in the beginning we had a phone call with some of the doctors from Wuhan and got an email from some doctors out in Seattle telling us like, this is really bad. You guys need to be ready. And I remember like all of us on the call were kind of looking at each other like, is this really going to be bad? Do you guys think this is going to be bad? Um, and, and from there it just took off. Um, and there was a ton of miss, you know, there definitely were missteps. Like in the beginning, um, we didn't have enough tests. That was, you know, it seems like a million years ago, but we had patients, if we really thought they had COVID, we wouldn't test them because we had such limited tests. So we were testing the people who we were more uncertain about. And then we'd send a test out and it would take weeks to get back because it would go out to the Department of Public Health. So, and then the other thing we were doing in the hospital was we weren't wearing masks in, you know, we, we wore a mask into the room, but we'd come out of the room, take the mask off and be talking to each other and, you know, sharing food in the break room, like things that now seem so out of this world. Um, so we really, uh, you know, had no idea what was coming. We were warned and we were worried, but we didn't, we really didn't have a, a, a good grasp on on it until it hit um so yeah it was uh you know it was it was hard to be people were looking to us as healthcare professionals for answers and asking us you know how is it spread how bad is it going to be why do some people get sick why do other people not get sick and and we had no answers um i remember we also had this call at one point as a group uh, you know in, in our critical care department and we were just sharing antidotes stories that we had heard from other places. Oh, we heard in, you know, in, in down South, they're putting like a sheet over the patients when they do CPR. Should we be doing that? Oh, we heard that, you know, we're, they're putting like clear boxes around people's heads when we intubate, should we be doing this? And we, it was just trying to share information uh, amongst the medical community as quickly and as safely and as evidence-based as possible. And that was really hard to do. This question I think can be asked a different way for Dr. Brady and then a different way for for all of us really is um, just kind of do we feel like we know more do we feel like we have a, a better I guess you know a, a control on this or do we know what we're doing um, you know, Michelle, it's, like a, yeah. it's a great question I like <laughs> do we know more than we did then and uh, in some ways yes uh, I think there's been some studies showing there are some medicines that work. Steroids seem to work for really sick patients. Remdesivir works somewhat. Um, masks, I think masks work. <laughs> um, and uh, I think, you know, that that we're not, we're actually haven't seen a ton of flu yet this year. And, and maybe that's because we're wearing masks. So um, we know more in some ways, but in other ways, I still you know, it's, people get COVID and they're, you know, in their 80s or 90s and they're okay and they have mild symptoms. And then someone in their 20s gets it and they're critical in the ICU and, and die. And, you know, that, that we don't understand, like why some people get so sick and other people 
have no symptoms. So that's that's still something that is mind blowing, and it's so hard to predict who's going to get really sick. You know, we have some, you know, some evidence. You know, who who's more at risk of getting sick, but that doesn't always play out. And then something else that's been really hard is, you know, when people get a pneumonia, usually they're sick for a couple days, and then once they get better, they're on this clear trajectory to being better. And with COVID, we're seeing, you know, people start to look like they're getting better, and I'll send them out of the ICU, and a couple days later, they're they're back. So there's there's something just very different about this. Young Annie, do you feel as as uh, you know normal citizens here? <laughs> do you feel like? You've learned, you know, something, you know more, you got the, the hang of this to kind of keep yourself safe and healthy. You know, yeah, I mean, it's like little bits. There's, there's the personal question, which is, do I know more? I do feel like I know more. You know, there was the, the panic of that first, do you remember that first month? Yeah, I just remember going to the grocery store and, and hands, you know, you remember that? Just yeah, wiping just, everything down, we throw uh, the bags out, and then, uh, you know, I think those, those our things, knowledge there has come forward a little bit. Yeah, we, we feel, um, we feel sort of comfortable in the in that personal realm but I have to say what's actually been interesting for me for the last eight or nine months is this sort of social experiment of so you know Ginny's fighting that front line which is like how do you actually treat people who have COVID um, and, and get them better and treat them so that they heal and they survive and all those things and what what we've been sort of watching is this greater fallout of um, knowledge and dissemination and compliance or, you know, what, why do some countries um, respond in a certain why, why do some countries embrace the, we're all in it together, let's wear masks and try to protect each other and why are some places or areas, um, you know, resistant to that idea and, you know, where, where is everyone getting their information from and how does that, how does that sort of unfold in the larger picture of things? I, I think that that's something for me that I've been following and I have to say I I don't know if I know more <laughs> about the about the human experience from you know the last eight months it's been really interesting to see the waves of of um yeah how everyone's gone through this and what's happened I think things will change very much in a week or so um when policy does change and that top-down reform happens um I think I think things will be very different and we'll learn even more then well I want to get into that a bit more of just the 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 huge and growing spread of disinformation um, about coronavirus, about the very people who are trying to help people. And Dr. Brady, I, you know, I've, I've, I'm sure you've all seen the stories of doctors and nurses saying they're trying to help someone who has coronavirus or is dying from corona, the COVID virus, and literally the person does not believe they've got COVID. They think they, even then, they, they think they and their families are, are struggling with the healthcare provider. Did you experience any of this uh, in your work? Yeah. Um, well, I think, you know, the the politics surrounding COVID are unfortunate. And, um, you know, wearing a mask shouldn't have been political, shouldn't be political. Um, and unfortunately, it, it has been. You know, um, I didn't have patients, uh, you know, usually when they get to me, they're, they're sick enough that they, they believe they have COVID. Um, but I, you know, there's definitely misinformation about, um, you know, people being worried about being put on a breathing machine because there was misinformation that the breathing machine would make things worse. Um, and, you know, I think uh, there, 
they're definitely, you know, patients um, not, you know, almost realizing too late how serious COVID could be, thinking, oh, it won't affect me, it won't affect me. And then all of a sudden, you know, it does. Um, so, yeah. Um, I was going to say something else too. You asked me uh, about misinformation. Uh, I, I forgot what I was going to say. I'll come back to it, but I'll let Annie young. I mean, I think, I think something that is confusing for me is the, um, the civilian trying to navigate this lockdown. We're, we're, we're in Toronto right now, and, uh, and there's been a state of emergency issued in the province of Ontario. The uh, second time. For the second time two days ago. And so we're in a lockdown, which doesn't feel much different than our previous or our constant way of lockdown, uh, which is we just don't leave and we buy groceries and we have social distance. Um, uh, outdoor gatherings, not gatherings, but, <laughs> but Brandon, <laughs> a friend would come over and sit on our porch with us. But um, at a distance. But um, um, but I think what I'm what I I find myself having conversations with people is about you know who is getting it because in our in our in our circle here we're we don't in our friends it just seems remote and hard to figure out and I think there's a, a problem with contact tracing and and the understanding of how. Uh, you know, um, essential workers who have to work are being are the ones who are, you know, the most vulnerable, and in certain disenfranchised communities are the ones that are most vulnerable, and and homelessness is a problem. And you know, like I think uh, there is this disconnect there, and I think about that a little bit too. Uh, well, a lot actually. So. One of the. I, I, oh, sorry. I was going to say the. Go ahead. You go, John. <laughs> Well, I was, I was just going to say, one of the other doctors early in this uh, says at, at one point that uh, with one exception, all of their patients so far with COVID have been non-Caucasian. He said he had one Caucasian uh, patient and, and the rest were, I think, mostly Hispanic, I believe when he was in New York, um, which, you know, again, is talking about the, a lot of the folks who are likely to be both in positions where they need to go there in as well, but also as we know, you know, underserved in healthcare, underserved in, in you know, the, uh, we, we in fact had this discussion among our staff this morning where uh, one of us was saying that uh, she had found out that her mother and her husband, who are both in categories who can get uh, vaccines now, and she said the information wasn't pushed out to her. She, however, is checking every day the, from the healthcare provider, so she found it. But if you if you don't have a healthcare provider, if you don't have internet access, or you you don't know how to uh, navigate all that stuff, it 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 exacerbates again this this demographic um, uh, inequity that we we've had fighting this. So I'm sorry, Doctor Brady. You no, I was gonna say you know and and just more. There's I've had in the past you know few months have families asked you know for medicines that uh, that the president got like is my mom getting the medicine that the president got and that's something we don't have at the hospital so that also perpetuates this like distrust that that uh, certain people are going to get certain medicines um, and you know there's also this there was that rumor that doctors were getting paid to diagnose people with COVID which is completely outrageous um, so you know in a time when uh, we really need people to to trust the healthcare system, and and now again with getting vaccinated, we need people to to trust in in our healthcare system and in our science. Um, it was there was a disharmony there. 
and isn't that so interesting? You know, that's that's I think what's fascinating still is that you know COVID nineteen has become this big litmus test for so many things that we knew were already a problem. Disinformation on the internet, sure. Um, you know, yeah, um, access to uh, healthcare and information and all of those things, but it just comes down because this is really it's probably the issue that has united the globe i don't i don't i can't in that i i in my certainly in my lifetime i can't think of another time where we've all been going through the exact same thing at the exact same time and so the disparity between right who's getting what information when and how is so so apparent and i do remember in the beginning of this that there was some sort of inspired conversations about maybe this is a chance to pause and regroup and revise and draft a new way to move forward. Um, I have to say, I haven't heard those conversations as of late. Um, I don't know. I feel like we're all just mired under getting through and surviving right now, which is totally right. But um, yeah, I, I would hope that at some point when we have the bandwidth, we can we can use it as a time to say, let's like throw this part in the garbage and start on a new page I don't, I don't know i feel like we have to to do that now i don't know how much time we have left because it feels almost like we are at that tipping point um in which we don't act fast enough uh the repercussions of what covid19 has done to our lives around the world you know the those consequences and my mind can be dire we're watching a short documentary featuring three frontline doctors whose lives, um, you know, share their, their stories. We saw Dr. Brady be open and honest about the emotional and mental toll it had on her and watching, you know, her patients, uh, patients sick and dying. Um, Dr. Brian Chang, who, you know, at the beginning, upbeat, says, I'm going to go to New York. I want to learn more about this virus as a once-in-a-lifetime thing. And then quickly... You know, reality sets in. He's working over 80 hours a week, and and same thing, witnessing you know many people being sick without their family members, and then finally, uh, Dr. Pooja Isola, who uh, uh, who loses her job. Um, uh, <laughs> that is frightening to me in a, in a lot of ways. And in, in when you lift a lid on what's wrong with some of our systems, but loses her job as an ER physician because the hospital was not making enough money off of elective procedures. To me, these are all signs leading to disaster if we don't change the way things have been going. But I'd like to hear from you, you know, kind of, do you feel the same dire uh, emergency panic I feel, Dr. Brady? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think there are so many lessons to be learned from, from this pandemic, um, whether it's, you know, disparities in healthcare, um, the way our healthcare system works in terms of, you know, we, at the, the start of the pandemic, we, you know, when we're working like crazy, we got an email from the hospital saying, you know, we're, we're going to have to take away your retirement funds because, you know, we're, we're losing money, which is like, it was wild to me. I was like, how are we losing money? Like that we're so busy, but it was exactly, you know, as Pooja like documented in the, her story, um, you know, the, the elective surgeries went down and, and therefore profit went down. Um, so I think the pandemic just high, like kind of pulled, pulled the curtain back on a ton of things that we need to work on. And, um, I think they were, there was a, they, they were glaring, uh, to see. And, um, I, you know, I do think that, um, 
I don't know how we're going to fix all these problems, but at least they were highlighted. And I think everybody who was working in the hospitals and anyone who was paying attention could clearly see it. Young, Annie, yep. anything you want to add to that? Uh, oh, I feel it's so dire. I, I, but I also feel, again, because it's we're strangely isolated in our own homes, I feel more helpless than ever in some ways, which is why I'm grateful to have been able to make Pandemic 19 <laughs> Ginny, Brian, and Pooja, and the other doctors, and, and Young. Um, yeah, I feel really, um, you know, I'm looking at this globally too, so not just with the US. Um, I'm also an artist, so I'm looking at the arts um, and live arts and just um, a lot of it is thinking about what happens. Again, I think we're in survival mode. You know, people are still living off emergency funds and savings and with the help of everyone. And it, it's a marathon together. But when this is quote unquote over, I know that it probably will never really truly be over. But um, even if we get past the vaccine stage, um, I really wonder what's what will be the long, more long-term fallout of this last year or two years. And that really worries me a lot. I, yeah, it's dire, but again, if anyone has any great ideas of how we can help from our living room, please let me know. We'll keep making documentaries to try to press this issue with the greater public. But um, yeah, I mean, I guess that's what we do as artists. We're trying to just like amplify stories that we think will will be part of the change that we want to see, which is again, humanizing a frontline story and say, this is real please do your part and let's get through this. And then like, yeah, next. We, we actually have a couple people in the chat who have asked specifically how they can see the film. So we showed some clips at the beginning. Where will people be able to view the entire short documentary? I mean, this is a great place to announce that we will have a, um, an American broadcast of our film on February 1st with PBS World Channel. Um, and so uh, uh, look for it then and, um, and I'll be updating, I guess, via social media, via my Twitter and all that, uh, uh, when, when we will be releasing the film. And um, I can't wait to, to just get it out there. That's what we want to do. We, we, you know, we really thought it might be a, a nostalgic piece by now, but it's not. <laughs> it's, it's really not. <laughs> so yeah. hopefully it will feel as present and as immediate as it was even in the summer. Yeah. Can we take a, a little bit of the program to talk about mental health? I, I just, you know, aside from the virus itself and what it's doing to our family members, our friends, our, our community, you know, physically, what is it doing to us and, and as far as our mental health? Um, obviously, we saw, you know, Dr. Brady, the toll it's taken on you as far as your work, but maybe... Um, and then also, yeah, the human side of you. But if you can all talk about how it's impacted you and our mental health, that would be great. Dr. Brady? Sure, yeah. I mean, this virus has just been, has ravaged, I think, uh, our mental health, um, our ability, you know, in terms of our ability to work, like our economy with restaurants closing and stores shutting down, um, and then just being isolated um, and not being able to, be physically with other people. Um, Zoom just doesn't doesn't do do justice, right? Um, and you know, personally for me, my, I'm from New York City. Um, my mom is down in New York City. My family's down in New York City. And uh, usually, I see see them once a month. I'll 
I'll drive down. And during, you know, the height of the pandemic, I didn't see, see them at all. And that was really hard, you know, um, and it's still really hard. It's hard to, uh, you know, from a personal experience as somebody who was treating COVID patients, I was always worried I was going to get other people sick. So even, you know, when people started to do, you know, outside gatherings, six feet apart, I was always really worried, like, what if I bring it to this outdoor gathering and everyone gets sick and I'm like this selfish person who, you know, even though I know how bad the virus is and I know that I was in contact with it, I've now spread it to everybody. So it's just been really, really hard. Uh, and I, I had mentioned before we started, I just got my second dose of the vaccine last week. And it is like really exciting to feel like, okay, maybe, maybe soon this will be over. And I think that, you know, there's going to be a lot of lessons learned from, from this pandemic, but one big lesson is going to be like how much to appreciate being with other people and being able to see family and being able to see friends. I think that is something that is going to be like so, so near and dear to everyone who has been isolated and feeling alone the past uh, 10 months. I mean, we, I, I mean, I, I speak from a place of privilege that, uh, you know, that we have a house, um, we have work, uh, we, we can make an income, um, you know, all of that is, you know, we're lucky and grateful for. But, uh, uh, but I look at, you know, those little things like with our daughter, we have a young daughter who's four and alone here in the house. And I just, uh, you know, that, that is, is hard to see maybe some of the grappling of emotional grappling of what she's going through, which is probably confusing. Um, and a great deal of loss. Yeah. Um, it's when you take someone's world away from them, it's a huge sense of loss. We grieve, we still grieve, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, speaking to mental health, I think, yeah, I think that's also the underlying invisible pandemic going on right now as well. And again, because we're all, it's taking so much bandwidth and focus to just deal with COVID-19 that a lot of this goes unaccounted for and and undealt with especially because we're all isolated and at home so it's harder to check on your friends it's harder to connect and it's harder to support those who need it um and i keep saying to everybody which is like i have a lot of coping mechanisms for my life but i had none for these circumstances i had never envisioned and i even like sort of apocalyptic fiction and films and I, for some reason, I had never seen Contagion by Steven Soderbergh <laughs> for some reason, but I just never, I never considered this as the, as the sort of like defining struggle in my, in my midlife, which was you can't see anyone. And I think this general sociality of our human nature, which we took for granted, I think for the last couple of decades with our devices and our, you know, we were all getting cozy with Netflix for the last decade. I do feel like right now we're realizing like, oh, it's Netflix is not our friend. <laughs> Netflix is not our friend either. Zoom is, is a, is a band-aid for, you know, even if you're an introvert, I, I, I do think the introverts right now, the ones that I know and are friends with, they're like, it's only carried me so far. Like it's, you know, we still need our people in our communities, however small they are. So this, I'm hoping, yeah, go ahead. Annie, it's funny. Like, you know, we used to sit around pre-pandemic with friends and like, 
we'd be with people and on social media, like scrolling on Facebook. I really hope we don't do that anymore. Like, I think I really hope that we are present with each other and put our phones down and turn off our Facebook when we're with other people. Um, I'll also say, Michelle, one thing I was thinking when Annie was talking, um, at the beginning of the pandemic in the hospital, all we had was COVID patients because everyone else was staying away and staying home. And now actually, not only do we have COVID patients, we have a lot of patients in the hospital who are in the hospital from uh, alcohol abuse over the last few months during the pandemic, suicide attempts, and other substance abuse. And the the rate of that that has that people being locked up and and like in in their houses and you know drinking more, doing more drugs, hospital really sick. It's it's alarming. Dr. Brady, you mentioned early on in this pandemic where, you know, doctors would be talking about what another hospital or a medical unit somewhere was doing. Should we try this? Should we do that? Um, and someone in the audience asked a question that I think kind of works into the question that I'm getting to, which is, do doctors and nurses get help from psychotrauma counselors um, to give them the ability to cope with a lot of the stuff that they're going through? Are you guys networking now and, and sharing and, and is there help for you or is it still 80 hour weeks and, and you have time to yeah. sleep, sleep? We, so there's definitely like, you know, we've gotten emails about links and, and how to connect with um, mental health professionals at the hospital, but actually more helpful. That's, I'm, I haven't used it, so I'm, but I'm sure it's helpful. Um, I think that what has been helpful for me is connecting with each other. So we've been doing uh, every week or every two weeks, we meet as a group with the docs, the nurses, the respiratory therapists, pharmacists, physical to everyone who's in the ICU. And we do a, we call it a wellness rounds and we debrief and it's a space for us to share our stories and you know our, our wins and our, our not wins and just things that have touched us and to connect with each other um, and also it's a, it's a way for us to see, you know, in the heat of the moment when we're taking care of a patient and trying to save a life, we're all kind of, you know, working and we're in autopilot. And then it's nice to have this moment with each other and you see somebody cry or see somebody and, you know, just to have that human connection and, and a space to exp express it. So that actually has been one of the, the helpful things that uh, we've been doing at work. Um, and there's just a sense in the hospital of, you know, especially at the start of the pandemic where we were just trying to take care of each other. Um, and, you know, it wasn't, it really wasn't unusual to see somebody like crying in the hallway after a shift and, uh, you know, just trying to lean into each other and, and take care of each other and make sure that we, we were uh, united in, in in keeping each other safe and healthy while trying to take care of our patients. Young Annie, any uh, thoughts or plans or, you know, to keep the, the recordings going? It's a short documentary. You had mentioned that the recordings had ended in June. Curious to know if uh, there are plans to expand or maybe, you know, short series or short documentary series or some, something like that. It's a, it's a great idea. And we did talk about it at one point. Um, why did we not? <laughs> you know, you know. Speaking of naive, we, we, were like, over. we were like, let's just do the first wave, uh, uh, and then, and then, right again, we thought, oh, you know, come out in fall, right before the election, and then 
you know, I, yeah. I, I think again, we were, we were, we, there was some suspicion somewhere like maybe we should keep this like a long-term <laughs> project, but it, it again, we, we didn't know enough and we felt pressed to get it out, seeing what was happening in the U.S. specifically with policy failure and leadership. That was the urgency around that we felt that. like we should get it out before the election. Um, and I should mention, but, yeah, yeah but, I mean, we, we were, the, the film was funded by the Center for Asian American Media in, in San Francisco, and we're, and we're so lucky that so lucky. they came in and said, oh, we see some, that this is important. We do want to get it out, you know, and that, I think that was what we, was the rallying cry for us was just to, you know, we wanted to, we wanted to get it out by June if we could have, but obviously we didn't, we knew that the story had to continue. And then, so we aimed for that pre-election uh, uh, kind of idea for the movie. And, um, that's why I think. Yeah. But yeah, it doesn't mean that. But we do can. we wish? Yeah, I, you know, in some ways, I wish there was like the, the short doc and then the series in some ways that kept following because I think again, I mean, I again am also craving these diaries in in a, in a personal way. I would love to know what's happening and how the roller coaster has continued. Um, and I don't. Pooja's not here to speak to her experience, but she's now working in telehealth, which is I think you know again when we speak of you know, how is this all going to play out? You know, that's a whole nother conversation. Mm -hmm. and, and, and yeah, it's something that it would be interesting to follow. And Ginny, I know you're dealing with waves and waves and right. <laughs> you're just... Well, it's, you know, it's in so many people, like, I cannot tell you how many people ask me, how's work? Is it, it must be crazy, <laughs> how's work? And my answer always is like, yeah, it's bananas. And <laughs> it's really hard to capture what work is like. And I think you, your film really did justice to um, give a story to like, to a story to that answer of how's work. <laughs> you just say, did you watch my short doc? I was uh, actually watching a seminar from my alma mater of my university um, six months ago or something. And one of the people said that after the 1918 to 1920 flu epidemic pandemic um, it took four or five years for people to start go, kind of resuming their going to theaters regularly and, and stuff like that uh, so very slow rebounding kind of like normal life um, i think this time there's you know there's a lot of hope being pinned on um you know more advanced knowledge of how diseases work and of course this is where I'm really going with all this vaccinations. Uh, Dr. Brady, you mentioned, you know, being vaccinated already. Uh, what can you tell us and our, our audience about the vaccine rollout? It uh, has been criticized in a number of states as, as, you know, what a surprise. It's not going as well as it, we were told it would be. But, uh, you know, is this the light at the end of the tunnel that uh, I think a lot of us have been hoping for? John, if there's one thing I have learned during this pandemic, it is don't make any predictions. <laughs> um, I feel like I, I, you know, again, you know, even though I'm a healthcare worker, I, I am as in the dark on this, I think, as everybody. Um, I'm hopeful, you know, I'm really hopeful that, that it, you know, in this, the studies that brought about the vaccine looks like it works. I'm hopeful it works. I'm hopeful people get it. Um, I think that there's two, two issues with, with the vaccine rollout. Um, one is that it's, you're right, it, it, the rollout has not been smooth. And it's really logistically hard to figure out how to vaccinate all these people. Um, and in Boston, you know, we're getting 
I got an email from the Department of Public Health asking for space to vaccinate people. So in, in Boston, we're looking at using Fenway Park uh, to, to roll out the vaccine. So just really the logistics of, of where to give this vaccine, uh, are, that's one issue. The second issue are, is... Are, mm -hmm? are, are you sure they're not just trying to find fun places to do it? Because here in California, <laughs> they're literally going to use Disney World or Disneyland. Really? So maybe it's just... Uh... <laughs> just to attract more people to, to get it, you know, a free trip to Disney or Fenway. <laughs> Um, the second thing that's concerning is the, that while there's, I think a lot of healthcare providers are really excited to get the vaccine and signing up, there's worry that the general public uh, won't get the vaccine and they'll opt not to get it. And um, I, I was talking to a friend of mine, I, I did my training at Yale, and a friend of mine at Yale was saying that it's something like, you know, when, when they offered the vaccine, 80% of doctors got the vaccine, but when you looked at other workers in the hospital who were offered the vaccine, something like 40% have opted to get the vaccine. Wow. So, um, you know, that's that's worrisome, really worrisome. I can't believe it, but we've almost um, burned through an, an hour, <laughs> and so I'm quite sad, but uh, I've learned so much. I want to say, you know, as a viewer watching the film, I, I think for me, my biggest takeaway was I want to do something. I want to be super active. And, and I, and it, it, it pains me that we're not doing more, you know, to support our frontline workers um, and that our systems are failing all of us. And so uh, just, just so you know, you know, what you have created for us, I think that that's what we need is, is all hands on deck uh, moving forward. How do we create a system that works for all? And hopefully we do that. Uh, so my last question is really kind of, what are your, words for those who are either listening to you today or who will watch the film later um kind of yeah like so just some words what do you want the public to hear or to know from your side dr brady that's a hard question um <laughs> i think um there are concrete things i can say like get vaccinated wear a mask um but i think Something that struck me during uh, the pandemic is uh, I just wish we could all like sometimes take a step back and be a little bit kinder to each other and a little bit more understanding of where people are coming from. Um, I think that really seemed to shine through at the start of the pandemic. Um, I, I'm from New York City and it almost felt like a post 9-11 feel in the hospital around Boston, and I think even in our country at one point, um, of like coming together and supporting each other and seeing each other as, as other humans. Um, and that has really eroded the last nine months. And I think we really need to work on, on getting that back. And I know that's like sort of a, a fluffy answer to, but I, I think it's really important, um, and I think uh, it's it's something that we can all try to get better at doing. Yeah, I, I like that fluffy answer actually, and and I and I want to echo it a little because I I like the idea of the wellness check uh, that you do, and I think that's what we need. We need to do the wellness check in our in our little circles, to make sure we're all okay. Yeah, and for me, if I was gonna. You know, use this platform to tell anybody anything, which I'm kind of shy to do. But um, 
you know, I think it's that this is an exercise continually of relating our personal struggle, struggles to the larger picture. And when we feel it's too much to either abide by the rules or wear a mask or get vaccinated to just, again, try do that exercise of rehumanizing the whole picture and to remember, look at those, those ticker numbers and remember that those are humans and not digits. Um, and that, you know, this is a web of connection and we are all in this together. <laughs> um, and, and wear a mask. <laughs> and I'm excited to get vaccinated and share that excitement. I'm going to share that excitement with everybody I know. <laughs> I thought it was interesting that, uh, you know, several living past presidents have said they will get vaccinated and they'll do it on camera. And I, I'd like to see that just be a viral thing that everyone does, you know, when they're getting put that selfie out. That, that's a powerful selfie. Yeah. Um, I, so, I mean, there's all, one of the things I love about this, this, this film and, and the, the, the doctors who participated in it is there's often this stereotype of doctors that they can be remote and not sensitive to their patients' feelings, right? I mean, it's, it's a trope you, you see in movies and TV all the time, but the doctors in this short documentary are, are just so open about their feelings for the patients as well as the emotional toll it's taking on them. Um, and you did not know I was going here, but... You said we could ask you anything, and uh, we learned something about Dr. Brady's other career path that she once thought about. And since the, we're breaking down stereotypes, uh, Dr. Brady, what, what, what was your alternative to medicine? <laughs> um, so when I finished college, I really wanted to be a stand-up comic. Yeah. And uh, my parents were, were sort of beside themselves <laughs> after paying for four years of uh, private college. But uh, yeah, that was my, uh, my, my lofty goal. And clearly I, I wasn't too funny. I'm now an, a critical care doctor. <laughs> you know, to me, I, I, feel, like agree, you, I yeah. feel like you could combine the two careers and your bedside manner could have a few more like lines. That's true. Like what's <laughs> the deal with endotracheal tubes? <laughs> <laughs> But, but, you know, there's countless videos that you sent to us that we didn't include, you know, we You're had to funny. edit the film and, and you were always, we, you know, the humor in some of the videos is excellent. You know, when it comes across, it's, it's so funny. And, um, and if you included it, it could have been my, like, you know, <laughs> my big break. I've been waiting. <laughs> yeah, that great story. So we did cut a, a clip out, the one about the flat tire, um, which, I thought it was great. I, we really kept it till the end, and then we had to lose oh. it for for the edit. But um, but it's uh, I don't know if you want to yeah, tell everyone. Is this the is I'm not sure. Ever is this when I was like driving home and I had a, the yeah flat tire. Yeah, so I called AAA. This was a, I'm probably like never gonna be able to oh, no. get a AAA membership ever again when I tell this story, but I called it triple <laughs> triple A. By the way, you and, were working like overnights. You were working like just yeah. hours. It was like night. It was like yeah, yeah, I was like in insane, like you know, my hair was like crazy. And I <laughs> get this flat tire on the way home and I go around like it was I, I pulled into a, a stop and shop. And I go around to people's cars and I'm asking them to, um, oh, no, it wasn't a flat tire. It was my battery died. That's what it was. The car died. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I went around to people and I was knocking on their windows, asking them to jumpstart me. And people were like, you know, masks on, like they wouldn't roll down their window. <laughs> and then I called AAA. And the first thing they asked on the AAA <laughs> was like, have you or anyone you know come in contact with anyone with coronavirus? And I was like, in my scrubs, I just left the hospital. I was like, <laughs> no. 
Um, but like I needed a uh, needed a jump. Yeah. Needed a boost. Yeah. How else? Yeah, it's like right. That that's that's that that's that. I think we've all been in that that scenario where people were like, "Oh, I think I might, maybe I, you know, I was at the grocery store. Did I touch my face after I touched the thing? Do I have it?" Yeah. I want to thank you all so much for your time and joining us at the Commonwealth Club, and uh, also for Pandemic Nineteen. So I know we're all excited, especially those who tuned in and really want to know how they can watch the short documentary. So, Young Annie, again, when can we start watching and where? Uh, so uh, our American broadcast, uh, February 1st on World Channel, that's um, PBS World Channel. Uh, and then other places too coming up. I think the best way to, to check in is through the Facebook page, Pandemic 19, uh, short doc, I think it's, Pandemic, you'll find it, Pandemic 19. And then I'm, uh, and, and social media, I'm at uh, Young Films um, on Twitter and Instagram. Awesome. <laughs> And Dr. Brady, from uh, the the bottom of our hearts, thank you so much. You know for all that you do in in keeping and trying to keep us safe um, and healthy, and also again for being here and burning one hour when you <laughs> can be doing something else. Um, and thank you for joining us here today. Uh, John, we'll have you uh, do the last words. I want to thank everyone again, and of course, uh, lead you to commonwealthclub.org to find out all of our additional programs. We have programs on COVID, we have programs on authors, scientists, politicians, um, and uh, we hope you'll join us online until it's safe again to gather at the Commonwealth Club in person. So thank you, everyone. Have a safe and happy rest of your week.